We're going to continue this morning in the book of Colossians. Of course, we're spending time here unpackaging the significant meaning of this important epistle that focuses our attention on Jesus Christ, His finished work, who we are in Him, and our confidence, and why we can place our confidence in Him. And so, Paul is going to great lengths here to make certain that he's taking the time to explain to these dear believers who have been assaulted by a false teacher, to make certain that their faith is indeed in Jesus Christ and not in the legalism and not in their own self-righteousness, not in their own faithfulness, um, as was being taught by the false teacher in their midst. As we know, he came into their midst and began to teach a blended Method, message, if you will, of a combination of Judaism and, and pagan ritualism and mysticism and spiritism and angel worship. It was a train wreck. And the assault was significant. And so Paul wanted to make certain that these dear believers were protected. And so he writes to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and brings them to the place where they ought to be back to the feet of Jesus Christ resting in His finished work rather than in their own righteousness. And so, we're going to continue looking at verse 10 this morning um, and in preparation for our time together uh, in communion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we love You. Thank You for this day. Thank You for this time together. Thank You for the Word. May we be enriched by its preaching today. Protect us from the buffeting of the evil one. Help us to clear our minds of the things that so easily distract us. Help us for a brief moment this morning. Reflect on the wonders of the message of the gospel. Revel in the fact that you have seen fit to save us, that you have clothed us in a new man, and that we are being formed and conformed into the image of Christ so that we can better reflect and communicate the wonders of who you are and what you have done for us. We look forward to the day when um, this will all be finalized and consummated at the end of the age when we will be glorified and reigning and ruling with Christ. And until then, cause us to be faithful, help us to be steadfast, help us to rest in the finished work of Christ, and help us to be confident of all that He has promised us. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go back and pick up with verse 1 just by way of reminder. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new, the new self, or the new man, who is being renewed to a true or full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. 
Well, Paul here, of course, has been taking the time to unpackage for us the significance of the meaning of this, this idea of being new creation in Jesus Christ, the fact that we have been clothed in, new, in a new nature. The new man is what Paul was referring to there. And I think for us today, as we reflect upon the Lord's table, it's important for us to understand some things about what Paul is teaching here in light of our time together taking communion with each other. Of course, communion is a reminder. It's a memorial. It's a, it's a time to reflect upon joyously what Jesus Christ has done for us. The elements help us in a way to, to visualize and represent what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us, the life that was given, the life that was lived, the life of perfect righteousness, and ultimately then that life being given up to death and the shedding of blood in order to cover our sin. All of this then brings us into a new context, a new covenant that is in and resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you think that participating in this today somehow is going to make you either more savable or more saved, you are seriously wrong. It will not. It is a time to reflect. It's a time to celebrate. Indeed, it's not so much a morose or morbid type of time together, but it's a joyful occasion for us to concentrate and to reflect upon who Jesus Christ is and what we have in him. And so for Paul... The idea that, that, that the Lord's table contains is certainly expressed in this picture that he paints for us with the idea of having been clothed in this new man. We've talked about the image that is used. We've reached back into book, to, to the book of Genesis. We understand what we find in the book of Genesis, our desperate state being communicated to us based upon what happened to Adam. Adam sins, Eve sins. In that context, their, their sinfulness is exposed. They must be covered. They try to do it themselves with fig leaves. It doesn't work. God then deals with them in the context of their fallenness at that moment, and he clothes them in something that is external to themselves. An animal has to be killed, and the skin of that animal is taken and is used and fashioned into clothes for Adam and Eve, which God then places upon them. This is the picture that we have here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And so, when we think about what Paul's pointing to, we need to think about that. Paul's reference to this new man designates the desperate need that we have caused by the inherent corruption of our nature. When you think about the Lord's table, when you think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when you think about all the things that he did, we must focus on the why of that. Why was it necessary for Jesus Christ to do all of those things? Why is it necessary for God to change me through the work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit? What necessitates such a radical, cataclysmic event to occur? It is because of who I am by nature. I am by nature a son of Adam. And in that place and in that state, I cannot do anything in my own to save me. I need something external to myself. I need something outside of myself. I need a creative force to bring me to a position and a place where I can now be in communion with God by and through Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord's table is about. This is why it's a new covenant. It's a new covenant in his blood. So the new man 
designates the new birth, the renewing and the resulting new propensities for us to do good things, to live holy lives, which is a desire that is now infused into me and impressed upon me by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is no small matter. Verse 10 in Colossians 3 should not be glossed. We need to make certain that we're understanding the significance of why it is it must happen. Outside of this happening, you perish without Christ. Outside of this happening, you spend all of eternity under the context of God's justice experiencing his full-orbed wrath forever. This is no small matter. This is significant. And so when we come to this time, when we, when we participate in a, an occasion such as this, often referred to as a, as a means of grace, an ordinary means of grace, a means by which I can reflect upon what it is that God has done for me, we need to be reminded of profound doctrinal truths that are communicated in verse 10 of chapter 3. Paul here, of course, is speaking to the idea that in my natural state, I am totally depraved that I am not inclined to do good, that I am the Romans 3 man, the one that I often refer to and say, get that man in heaven on his own. He is corrupted from head to toe. Everything about him, his thoughts, his sight, his hearing, his mind, his actions are all corrupted by his fallen nature. But now, God comes along, and in this beautiful metaphor of being fitted, he clothes me in the finished work and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And not only does he do that, but this process of sanctification, this process of of having been made new is continuing. He continues to grow me through the work of the Holy Spirit, who strengthens this new nature, this new man, if you will, to do those very actions for which we have been created, reaching back into the creative mandate, be fruitful and multiply. Adam was given an obligation. He was put into the garden to do something, to be fruitful and multiply. He failed. The second Adam comes, and he did not fail. He has indeed, Jesus Christ, that is, been fruitful and multiplied through the power of his message, the gospel, And all across the world, we see this. And so what's interesting for me is when we look at this, we understand that this this new man that we've been given, that Paul refers to in verse 10, and you, and have put on the new man, the new self, which is being renewed. This new man then excites us to duty. He, he, He moves us in a direction that we never went before. Before God saved us, I was not inclined to come to church Before God saved me, I was not inclined to do anything other than that which was satisfying to myself. Before God saved me, I was not inclined to have fellowship with believers. I did not love them. I did not love his church. I did not care about his word. They were nothing to me. But when he saved me, and when he saved you, and he clothed you in this new man, he then, through the Holy Spirit, excites us to do the things that we ought to do that please him. Indeed, now the law for me is something that is joyful. As Paul would say in Romans 7, 22, I joyfully concur with the law because the law helps me understand how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And indeed, 
Paul tells me in Ephesians 3.16 that even my inner man is being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. This is a beautiful picture. And so when I partake of the elements, when I meditate upon this moment at hand, when I'm here with the other redeemed of God, when I'm sitting next to people, I can know that I too am a miracle, that they are a miracle, that God has recreated them in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is indeed is an important occasion for the church, for all of us to revel, to wonder, to rejoice to lift up our voices, to smile, to be excited, to know that even though I have sinned and even though I continue to sin, the finished work of Jesus Christ will always cover me. That God will in no way cast me out. That he in no way will set me aside because every time he looks at me, he sees Christ. Indeed, Paul can say in Colossians chapter 1 that I have been reconciled Indeed, Christ can present me to the Father as a trophy of grace. This is my man. This is my woman. They stand in my righteousness. For 33 years, Christ lived a life that I could never live, that you could never live. Never sinned, never had an improper thought, never had an improper motive, never had an improper desire, never did anything wrong that would violate God's law in any way, shape, or form. Not one single time. Not one single time. Even in the context of facing the cross, even in the context of knowing that, was, that which was coming, he did not sin. He did not flee. He did not run. He stayed for you and for me. And so communion allows us to reflect upon the wonderful message that is communicated to us in such a passage. Dear friends, this is why as your pastor, I labor over these texts so hard with you. Because I understand that your commitment to Christ, to his church, to each other, comes from an overwhelming gratitude that is driven by a deep understanding of the truths that these passages contain. Your heart becomes overwhelmed. You, can say, you will say to yourself, well, I, how could I not get up this morning and go to church? How could I not use my spiritual gift? How could I not want to be with the redeemed of God? I'm going to spend all of eternity with them. I might as well get used to them now. <laughs> church is just a microcosm of heaven. My dad often would say this. This is just a very dim picture a fuzzy, faded picture of what the glory of heaven will be like. You think it's good to hear you sing now? Wait till we get to heaven. Wait till all of our voices are joined together in unison, singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. I think of those who have gone before. I think of the fact that that is their reality, that is their existence as they are there in this intermediate state, the already but the not yet. We're waiting for the consummation of the end of time. But they're in the context of the reality of the full-orbed glory of Christ. Their voices are being raised in unison. They are indeed singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Paul would tell me in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is new creation. The old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become new. So for Paul, one of the motivations for us to live out the reality of this is to realize what transformation has taken place. The wonder of it, the ability now to do the things that please the Lord. It's been said that he who assumes the character of a king is both foolish and wicked if he acts like a buffoon. And so it is with him who puts on the new man if he acts like the old man. To Paul, that's antithetical. To Paul, that's simply not plausible, nor feasible, nor right. Now, he understands that people struggle with sin. We know that from Romans 7. But he also understands that there ought to be some pattern of growth, some evidence of growth. And so he speaks to the idea of being renewed. This is what this talks about in this passage. The idea that the Holy Spirit continues to work and mature this new nature. Isn't it wonderful that God not only saves us, but he continues to work out the process of that salvation? That he continues to equip and continues to mature. He continues to develop. He continues to illuminate. He continues to to give us insight. There's this ongoing renewal. such a wonderful message really ought to make us reflect upon the wonders of what God has done for us. Indeed, what it ought to do is I reflect upon the fact that I need a new nature, that there ought to be some sense of a poverty of spirit. As I reflect upon why I needed it and from where I got it. Indeed, does not Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. I claim nothing of my own. I don't assert my rights as we so often want to do in this day and age. Pushing and claiming, making certain that I'm recognized for my value and for my worth. Holding on to the microaggressions committed against me. Holding on to everything that's a fault and a worry and a problem. No. Rather, we look to Jesus Christ, we marvel, we wonder, we revel in the fact that God saved us at all. The early church father Cyprian said this, and nothing then should we boast since nothing is ours. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 in part says, what do you have that you did not receive? Friends, what do you have that you did not receive? Do you ever ask yourself this question? And Paul tells us that which has been received is being renewed. It's interesting to me that Paul uses this language in verse 10. If you look at it, he says, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. This phrase speaks to the manner, for it indicates the constant workings of the Holy Spirit in renewing us. God never lets us go. The Holy Spirit encouraging us, convicting us, working in us, exhorting us, Our renewing never ceases. He graciously keeps and preserves us. Think about this for a moment. 
Isn't it wonderful that God takes us in the state that we are, clothes us in this new nature, and continues to work in us through that new nature by His Holy Spirit? It's a beautiful picture. All the while persevering us to the end, remembering that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He graciously does this. He's at work in us. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us that the inward man is renewed day by what? Day, day. Moment by moment, I'm kept in His love. And this daily renewing is needed. Do you not need the daily renewing? I do. Absolutely. Do we all not struggle with sin? Do we not still fight those urges and those temptations? The inclination, that fallenness that still remains, that remnant that is still attached to us because of our robe of flesh plagues us. It's a wonderful thing to have the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and our lives, taking us into His Word working us in in that way. But what this does for me is this. This really has eschatological implications too. It speaks to the already but not yet nature of the Christian life. I, I am not yet what I'm going to be, but I'm becoming what I'm going to be. God is at work in me. And the work that He has started, He will see it to the end. Is not God faithful? Is he not one to keep his word? Is he not one to finish that which he has started? Isn't he the Alpha and the Omega? And so as I understand this, I I understand that the Holy Spirit is renewing me. He's keeping me. He's maturing me, growing me in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. This is God's gracious provision of what we need for our sanctification. The great theologian Herman Bavnik said this, There is a fullness of grace in Him unto forgiveness, regeneration, renewal, comfort, preservation, leading, sanctification, and glorification. It is a long, broad, deep stream of grace, and it bears the believers along from beginning to the end and to eternity. I love that picture, that picture of grace being carried along, this deep stream of grace. Is He not good to us? Can we not love Him more? Oh, that we would. So what does this renewal consist of? Think about this for a minute, friends. Think about it. Look. In verse 10, he says it's being renewed to a true or full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Here we have this wonderful idea that this renewal is twofold in nature. It's the illumination of the mind. The word knowledge speaks to that. And this illumination occurs solely through the work of the Holy Spirit by and through the word. It's not you getting extra things or being told certain things. That's not happening. The illumination of your mind occurs by and through the faithful ministry of the Word and your reading of the Word. 
Indeed, would not Paul say that he would joyfully concur with the law? It is the law that Paul goes back to to understand what it is that is pleasing to the Lord. He grows in that knowledge. David would hide it in his heart so that he would not sin against God. This illumination of the mind speaks to a growing understanding, the efficacy of what the Holy Spirit is doing, the changing of the will and the affections and the desires are all connected to the change of the mind, are they not? And so as I reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for me, I, 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 I see this transformation. I understand I don't do the things that I once do, did. I have a desire now to be with the body of Christ. I want to use my spiritual gifts. I want to be with the redeemed of God. I want to love the Lord Jesus Christ more. Oh, that I could love him more. That the shackles of my heart would would, would be released to fully love him and comprehend him in his glory and his wonder. I look forward to that day. Don't you look forward to the day when we're in glory and we can love Jesus Christ fully unhindered? When we can be there with him. No presence of sin. No context in which it would exist other than to reflect upon the fact that you've been redeemed by the one that you're now in the presence of. We have here a picture of the healing and sanctification of the will, which he points out by the use of the word image. The mind of the old man is darkened, as to what belongs to spiritual and saving knowledge, but the new man knows these things. I am no longer the man described in 1 Corinthians 2.14. I am no longer lost in my darkness as described in Ephesians 4.8, but rather I am new creation in Christ Jesus, and I am kept by Him, and I am being renewed by Him, and I am being conformed and formed into His image. It's being pressed upon my soul in such a way that I begin to reflect the wonders of my Savior. The Holy Spirit would then would lead us to a knowledge of spiritual things. He begins this work of renewal by the infusion of life giving knowledge in the light of faith. And this is a beautiful picture for us. A wonderful moment to reflect as we begin to contemplate taking the elements of the Lord's table. We are now led by the Spirit of God. And by and through Him, we continue to grow in a deeper knowledge and understanding of the wonder of our salvation. Now, this is affected over time. Renewal is a process. But little by little, it comes along. And I grow. I'm the proud grandpa of a new infant, a new grandson. And I've already, already begun to see him grow. That's a good thing. That's a process that takes time, but he is indeed growing. He now weighs about a pound more, I guess, than he did the other day. <laughs> And he's a little bit longer than he was the other day. 
I'm hoping he grows a little faster because he has to have a pony soon. <laughs> and trains and planes and golf clubs. and <laughs> But you see, he's renewing us. He's changing us. He's forming us. He's impressing his image upon us. We do not become little gods, but we become a reflection of what we are in Christ, that which is holy is now part of us. And so too we are holy. Be ye holy for I am holy. And so we see that there's this wonderful effect of regeneration. The mind is enlightened by faith. And as a consequence, the human will, our will, is then conformed to God. And as a consequence of that, demonstrates a divine disposition in the things that we love, in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness. It would only stand to reason, of course, that that would be the case. We have here a picture of the divine sanctity, if you will, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the mind as we're conformed into the image of Christ. What's important for us to think about is as we contemplate this passage and as we contemplate the elements, think of God's kindness towards us. Think of His gentleness towards us. Think of His mercy towards us. This all must be considered in the work of regeneration. Indeed, is it not a demonstration of the great proof of His goodness and His clemency towards us? That once He willed that His image should be impressed upon us, that he indeed would continue to renew it and restore it again and again and again and again and again. This is what Paul is driving home. He wants the Colossians to be motivated by an understanding of this, not a motivation to be engaged in their legalistic pursuits and their endeavors. This is more important. This is the truth. This is of eternal consequence. Even when we sin, the renewal continues. Even when we walk away, God brings us back. We can never wander so far as to be out of the reach of His love. It's interesting to me that what we understand from Scripture... And as you begin to think about communion, we can reflect on this fact. The consideration of the value God set upon this restoration continues to be demonstrated in His patience and long-suffering towards us. He created man first in His image by His voice and His word but he restored him a second time by his death and his blood. It's a beautiful thought. Let then this benevolence of God in regenerating us at so great a cost and renewing us after his image by his Holy Spirit be a spur, an impetus, a cause to us in laying aside our sin. And in so doing, pursuing godliness. 
This is what he's talking about. And so there you have it. You never thought that I would finish verse 10. <laughs> but I have, and the people rejoiced. But I hope that you see the wonder and the magnificence of this. All that is incorporated into it. The creation mandate. The equipping like he did with the craftsmen in the temple by the spirit and wisdom and knowledge equipping them to do the things that they had to do to build the temple correctly. He has done that for us. And now he has restored us and brought us into union and fellowship with him by his death and his blood. So there you have it. Now, when you take of the elements today, you can smile and say, how good is God? Right? Isn't that good news? That's good news, right? That's good news. I went to hear Jordan Peterson speak Thursday night. I didn't get good news. I got some good advice. I got good input, input, but I didn't get good news. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is what matters. Do you believe it? Do you know it? I hope that you do. Well, let's take a minute and let's prepare our hearts. Let's reflect, not in a necessarily morbid way. If you have sin in your life, deal with it. How could you not? Why would you not? And there's no special incantation. You don't have to even go to a special room. You don't have to talk to a special person. We believe in the priesthood of the believer here at Community Bible Church, and you can take care of that business right where you sit. And no, you don't have to have two or three assembled so Christ is with you. <laughs> that verse doesn't mean that. If there is sin in your life, you should confess it and take care of it. Do not partake of the elements lightly, but I do want you to take care, take, partake of them in a joyful way, knowing that God forgives. He is of infinite mercy and grace and kindness. We are in Christ, and if we are in Christ, there's no better place to be. And so, we'll take a few moments here, and then we will have uh, the men come forward and we'll, we'll, we'll partake of the elements together, and uh, we'll be dismissed. So let's take a few moments.
it's good for us to be together today and to take the time to participate in this great celebration, this great memorial as directed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have the men here, we're going to begin to pass out the elements, so I'll, I'll hand these out. And of course, these elements are symbols for us. They're, they're reminders. The Lord knows that we're visual oftentimes, and that these things help us to remember what it is that He did for us. And so, um, as the men are passing these out, I want you to think about the fact that what you have is a picture, a symbol of the life that Christ lived, the, the fact that this is a reflection of His body that was given, His life that was given for you. This is no small matter. Now, there's nothing mystical in these pieces of, of bread or dough. They're, they're merely symbols. There's nothing that happens. They're not going to be mystically transformed into literal flesh, but indeed, they ought to be something that causes you to think about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to think about the fact that He gave His life for you, that, that His sole motivation, His sole purpose was to, of course, glorify His Father in the accomplishment of the redemptive purpose of His life. He came to save you, for Pete's sake. That's important. Now, that's the most important thing that you've heard today. Indeed, that's going to be the most important thing you'll hear all week. It's more important than digital economies and more important than a new world order and new, more important than a whole lot of other things. It's the most important thing. And those things should not obscure our reflection upon the significance of this, nor should it impede your communication of the wonder of what this represents to other people, too. What do you talk more about? That's sobering to think about. So, men, if you wouldn't mind beginning to hand that out.
So we're going to be passing out the cup now, so this is certainly important um, in terms of symbolism. Men, if you want to go ahead, I'll, I'll talk while you're doing that. So this is certainly significant because, uh, of course, the cup symbolizes the blood that was shed, the, uh, without which we don't have a new covenant. And so we, we need to make certain that we're understanding the significance of being transferred into that new covenant. Because if you're not in it, guess what? Well, here's the question. Here's the issue. You're, out, you're, in, you're in some covenant, okay? You can either be in Christ's new covenant, which rests upon His finished work, or you can be in the covenant of works. And that means that you've got to work your way into it all. It's got to be all based on you. What kind of week did you have last week? What did you do? What did you think? What did you say? How did you act? How did you react? Guarantee it, it didn't go well. Now, even if you thought that it went okay, then you've just messed up. Because that's the sin of pride. And so, with the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we look to Him. We rest in Him. He is the object of our faith. So, Paul in Romans, reminds us of this. It's important. Verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why? Because he was perfect. Because he did everything that God required. There would be no basis for any condemnation. God, if he is just, could not condemn him. This is my son in whom I am, what? Well pleased, right? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And God's people said, amen Amen to that, right? For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Spirit. And so we have this great hope, and of course we know how it all ends, right? Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren." And, the, and, the, and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather than who was, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, 
who also intercedes for us. And who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or digital currency or new world orders? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in yourself. No, Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's what we're doing right now. This is what this is all about. This is what we're reflecting on. Some of you are thinking, is this really communion? Yeah, it is. families. Well, the passage is familiar to us from Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this great memorial, this time of of sweet fellowship with the redeemed of God as we reflect upon the wonders of our salvation, all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ, as we reflect upon Christ, as we rejoice that Jesus has done all of these things for us, that his life was lived perfectly in conformity with all that you ordered and ordained, and that all of that has been given over to us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for inviting us to participate in this meal we have been welcomed into your home. You are, we, we are with you in the sense of memorializing all that you have done for us. Thank you for that. It's a wonderful thing to be invited over. It's a wonderful thing to have communion and fellowship like this. Thank you for providing that to us. May our minds rest upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, knowing that he has accomplished all that was required and rejoicing that there is no condemnation now that we are in Christ Jesus. We rejoice that we are known by you 
through him. And we pray and praise you in his name. Amen. God bless you.